1 Corinthians 2 and 7. I have come to love this verse more than I ever have before, and I've come to love the verses around it more than I ever have before. And I hope 1 Corinthians 2 means more to you than it ever has before, because it describes the hidden wisdom of God, even in a mystery that he's revealed to us. Incredible blessing. There are so many that want to join secret societies and occult organizations and pagan religions because they think that if they pass through enough stages or levels or degrees, they're going to get enlightened with the deep truths. Well, I want to tell you who searches the deep things, yea, the deep things of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God, and He's revealed those deep things to us. Amen. Unbelievable. Us, who am the least of all people, the smallest of all churches in Greenville, maybe. But I'll remind you that there have been few before who had the deep things of God revealed to them. Many of them met in houses. We'd be hard-pressed to do that. So we're a big church in some respects. But I hope that we're thankful this morning for the things that he has shown us. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 2 and 7. The Apostle Paul said, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. That verse is so pregnant, full of meaning for us. It's so full of blessing. But we speak, the Apostle Paul speaks to simple saints like the Corinthians and simple saints like us. There is a message that comes to us. We speak the wisdom of God. Not the wisdom of this world, but God's wisdom is communicated by the preaching of the gospel. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Because God's wisdom cannot be seen in the preaching of the gospel unless God has changed you from the inside out. Then when you hear it, you rejoice because you see Jesus Christ, Him crucified, lifted up as the glory and the power and the wisdom of God. It's a mystery because you can preach the same words with the same intensity, have the same song service beforehand, for those that have not been changed by the power of God on the inside, and it's foolishness to them. The world ridicules what we rejoice in. So it's in a mystery. And today we're going to finish this subject, the Lord willing, by looking at what God had to do for us to be able to see through the mystery and to see it. Because it's by His power that we are able to see anything at all in the preaching of the gospel. Secret things. If you put, and I've said this before, but I'm trying to teach you, if you put 50 PhDs in a room and you were given a week's vacation with them, you wouldn't learn a thing. You'd end up more confused than you ever had been because you would have 50 minds that are given, obsessed with hallucination, all wanting to share with you their most recent hallucination. They still wouldn't know where they came from They still wouldn't know where they are going. They still couldn't tell you what their purpose is. They still couldn't tell you what's after death. And aren't those kind of big questions and important questions? They don't know any of them. And you had a whole week with them. You'd end up more confused than ever. You'd want to peel a banana so that you could get in touch with Grandpa. It's true. The more educated you are in this world, the more ignorant you will be of God's mysteries. Amen. It is a direct relationship because God said it is a direct relationship. He said, if any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Amen. We must repudiate the wisdom of the world for God to show us his wisdom in the preaching of the gospel. Amen. And that preaching of the gospel is in a mystery so that unless we're born again, unless we're called, We don't see the power and the wisdom of God in it. We speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And what did he ordain before the world unto our glory? That Jesus Christ would come and die for us. That he would prepare an eternal place for us. That he would adopt us as his sons and his daughters. The living God, the creator God of the universe, 
would bypass the fallen angels, most of mankind, and would adopt us as his sons and his daughters. Things ordained before the world for our glory. And it's communicated through the preaching of the gospel. No one else recognizes it. They laugh you off before you even get to the bottom line. He's loved us that much. Amen. And all the spiritual blessings that go with that. Last night, in our devotions, I, I wanted us to consider from Genesis 14 about Melchizedek and Hebrews 7 about Melchizedek because he's the type of priest that Jesus Christ is. But the priesthood of Jesus Christ, that itself. Priesthood of Jesus Christ. I say the words to you. I say the words. Priesthood of Jesus Christ. I look at all of you and I wonder, do you even appreciate the words? Every man who has a sense of guilt, every man who ever thinks about life after death, do you know what he wants? He wants a priest. And so they make to themselves priests. Did you know, do you know how many women there have been in the history of the world that believed so much in their priest that they would give them their child to, take the, the, to allow the priest to offer it as a sacrifice? Now, does that sound like having a priest is pretty important? That women would give up the fruit of their womb in a burnt sacrifice? We need a priest. And so they make priests. Right now at this hour, all across our nation, as the sun moves from east to west, on Catholic so-called altars, there are priests that the little people are looking at because the priest is going to do a magic trick and turn a cracker into God, and then they're going to go up and get to eat God. And they're going to look at that as the means of their salvation because this priest is going to do it for them. And if any of you children don't believe me, and your parents will give you permission, I'll take you on Saturday night at 6 o'clock so that you can see it. Field trip of the Church of Greenville. The pastor will take you to a mass at St. Mary's downtown, 6 o'clock on Saturday, so that you can see how important priests are. But do you know what? There is hidden wisdom revealed in the preaching of the gospel. It's the wisdom of God, because there is such a difference between God and man. There is no priest that can span that gulf, except one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the preaching of the gospel tells us about, we have a priest. How long does he live? 70? 80? Forever. Forever. Does he have to offer sacrifices over and over again? Once. I, I, I promise you, I could preach to you for hours on the priesthood of Jesus Christ alone. It is so precious. Amen. You go read Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 10 about the priesthood of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished, and it's a mystery. You think those 50, listen, 50 PhDs in a room, one week vacation with them, and you rub your hands and say, I want to bring up a great topic for discussion. Priesthood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? What What could they tell you about it? Nothing. Now, let's, let's really get sad. 50 THDs. Doctors of theology. That's the shame. What could they tell you about the priesthood of Jesus Christ? Not much. Depends on what were they 50 THDs of Rome? Those are called the church fathers. They're the ones that came up with the idea that cracker turns into God. See what wisdom gets you? This is the wisdom. This is what I'm telling this is what I'm trying to tell you about in the hidden wisdom that is communicated to us through the preaching of the gospel. Right. Psalm 89:15. I want to shout about Psalm 89:15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Blessed, you're blessed to know the joyful sound. I'm blessed because I've heard and I've known the joyful sound. I didn't hear it and reject it. I didn't hear it and hate it. And it told me about Jesus Christ, who is a great high priest, who is able to come before the living God, the creator God, the God of heaven and earth, the God that cannot by any means acquit the guilty or clear the wicked. He can come before that God with the sacrifice of his own blood and perfect us forever, and he has. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that wonderful? And that's that's hidden. No one knows about that. I know all you children think that the whole world believes that. You come up with the money, and your pastor will take another field trip. 
We'll go to Beijing and we'll walk down the streets of the capital of China and we'll ask them about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Bruce, what do you think? Are we going to get a big response? Yeah, probably will. We'll get stoned. Seriously, children, hardly anyone knows about the priesthood of Jesus Christ and understands it. Jesus Christ is our priest and he is such a great priest and he's accomplished so much, he's made us kings and priests. Amen. His work as a priest is so great that we can go to God by ourselves. You don't need your pastor. You don't need your parents. You can go straight to God by Jesus Christ and right into his presence boldly. That is a mystery. There's no religion in the world that can go straight to God. Because if you can go straight to God, the coin is taken out of the priest's hands. Do you understand that? If you can go straight to God, the financial reward of being in religious business is taken away. We've been saved. Amen. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Before he made Adam, let me remind you again, God never did anything remedial right. when it came to the creation of this world. God did not create Adam and Eve and then throw up his hands and just cry in despair when he, when he looked down and saw Adam taking a bite out of a piece of fruit. That is not the God that I worship, and it's not the God of the Bible, because he ordained these things for our glory before the world began, before he created. Isn't that, that's that's a mystery. You think you're going to figure that out by looking into a lily? You'll know that there's a creator God, and he's got eternal power and a Godhead, but you won't know those precious things that are communicated to us in the gospel. That he ordained for our glory. It's too good to be true. I know that, brethren. We should close up and go home. It's too good to be true. That this is what I struggle with in trying to... It's too good to be true. I've, all, I've always believed all my life. That's why I'm a skeptic. That's why when you people come to me with some new idea, I always think of 20 reasons why I don't believe it. I'm a skeptic. It's the way God made me. I was paid to be one at the bank. Find every problem you can with this department so we can shut it down. Yes, sir. That's why they called me Little Hitler. Because I could always find negative things. And so, and, and I say all that to tell you this. When I read this, and when I consider this, and when I think about this priesthood, the fact of the priesthood and the, and the fact that we know about it, the, the two aspects, that there is a priest named Jesus Christ who has secured everlasting redemption for us, and that we know all about the details of it so that we can consciously put our trust in him, those two, it's too good to be true. Because I know that by nature I am scum. And I know that by nature I still fight sin like no one else. Sometimes I don't fight sin like anyone else, if you know what I mean. I know how corrupt my nature is. And that God would ever do that is too good to be true. But brethren, by faith, we launch ourselves out and we lay hold on Jesus Christ and we say, I'm not going to let go of you. And it's so simple to believe on him. You know, that thief on the cross, he was a better man than I am. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's all he said. He didn't even know very many of the mysteries. You know what mystery the Lord had revealed to him while he was hanging there on the cross? This is the Son of God. Right. There's a reason it's dark. Are you... Listen, why was one still cursing him in the dark? Can you believe that? Does that show how depraved our hearts are? Right. If it all of a sudden got dark and there was an earthquake and you were hanging on a cross beside one that was totally innocent, that was asking for forgiveness for those that were hanging him there, would you have second thoughts about his identity? especially since the governor had put over his head that he was the king of the Jews. Especially since you had heard him healing the sick and raising the dead for three and a half years. Wouldn't you have second thoughts? One man did not, and one man said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He had heard a little bit about the kingdom of heaven, hadn't he? Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's all he did. You know what Jesus said? Today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. The other man would have heard those words too. Did he say, I want to be in paradise too? No. Isn't that? What a difference. What a blessing. All by grace. 
all of grace. So this morning we launch ourselves. I have to. I have to launch myself by faith because the Word of God tells me the Word of God has the answer for everything in life. I believe, it's to be, I believe it to be the Word of God. God has put my soul confidence in it as the Word of God. Right. And so what I'm saying to you, it's too good to be true. I'm telling you what my flesh says, what my fleshly reasoning says, and what my spirit sometimes says when, in a weak moment. But then by faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is simply looking for us to call upon him, and whosoever puts their trust in him shall never be ashamed. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that comforting? In that great day, we're not going to be ashamed because we've laid our hope on Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. We should be saying that as we pass through the curtain of death, as we go through every moment of life, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting you. Right. My faith and trust is in thee alone. And we shall never be ashamed. Does God have mysteries? I have preached four sermons. Oh boy, man, there's too much to tell you. But let's go to Matthew chapter 13. I was asked a good question a week ago, and I just want to answer it. Matthew chapter 13. I have preached to you through 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3. We have answered the questions does God have mysteries? Does man have a right to truth? Does God hide truth? And what are the mysteries? We want to look at how God reveals them to us today and what we ought to do because of that. But let's, let me show you something about does God have mysteries. God has kept things secret from most all men in the history of the world. The natural man, because he's a God-hater, a, man, a person who is just born into this world, the man on the street, unless he's born again, is a God-hater. It doesn't matter what he says. Because if you ever told him what God really wants him to do, you'd find out that he's a God-hater. And we're all God-haters by nature. So all God-haters can't figure out anything. Because they don't want to admit that God is involved in anything. So they don't know any of the mysteries. But then, even God-lovers, the children of God, God's people, the ones that God has saved, like Noah, like Enos, like Seth, right down, down to Abraham and Moses, men like that, God did not reveal all of his secrets to them. He's revealed more to you than to Abraham. Amen. That, is, that is incredible. But that's his choice. And we call that progressive revelation in that God progressively reveals more and more of himself and we have been blessed to be born on this side of the cross under the New Testament. And not only that, but he sent us pastors and teachers who taught us the truth. There aren't very many of those. But he sent them to us. Look at Matthew 13, verse 17. Remember, Matthew 13 is that chapter in the first 16 verses that tell us that Jesus spoke in parables not to teach people the truth, but to hide the truth from people. Jesus used parables to confuse men, not to make the truth clear to men. Right. Only his disciples would he explain it to later. Matthew 13, verses 1 through 16, are verses teaching us that parables were used to keep the crowds from understanding. Look at verse 9. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. See, there's only a few. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few have ears to hear. And if you have ears to hear this day, blessed is the people who know the joyful sound. Blessed is the people who know the joyful sound. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For most men, when Jesus Christ would open his mouth, they hated him. He was feeding the multitudes, calming storms, raising the dead, casting out devils, causing the blind to see, and they hated him. What is, what is so perverse? God-haters. Right. Because he came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent me. Amen. And they hated that will. Right. Because that will was discriminating. When he opened his mouth and said there were many widows in the days of Elisha, but Elisha only went to one widow, and she was a Sidonian. They took, that was in his hometown, Nazareth. They took him out to the brow of the city 
to cast them off headlong and kill them. Because they cannot stand a God that would make choices among men. A simple little statement like that of application of the Old Testament. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Verse 17, For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Many prophets and righteous men. Now the question can be asked, are these true prophets and truly righteous men, or are these false prophets and self-righteous men? No. These are true prophets of God, and these are truly righteous men that did not see what you see. Because God was not yet ready to reveal it. He was going to reveal it in the last times. So come over to 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, and let's see the explanation for this fact. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, describe the blessed and eternal inheritance that's reserved in heaven for us, to which we are begotten by God, which gives us a lively hope because it gives us a hope that we can live for and a living hope because Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead and it causes us to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory as verse 8 describes. But now this glorious salvation that we know the details about, a reservation made in heaven, accomplished by Jesus Christ dying for us and and being resurrected from the dead, look what it says about this salvation. Verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Who was the grace going to come unto? Us in the New Testament. Searching here, look at look at their search and their desire. Searching what or what manner of time. The Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, all they had were signs, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom, that is, unto those prophets that wrote these things, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The bottom line of those three verses, if you got lost in the long sentences, is this, that the things that the prophets wrote about that were to be glorious for men were not for them, but were for those under the New Testament. And they were searching and inquiring into those things until the Spirit of God would tell them, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to happen down the road. And now the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ were coming along, showing the complete fulfillment of those things told in advance by the prophets. Do you follow that? Which is now reported unto you. It's reported. We have seen him. We have seen him risen from the dead. We have seen him in power and great glory when he was transfigured before us. The point being, many prophets. Did Isaiah know as much about Jesus Christ as you know? Did Isaiah know as much about Jesus Christ as your children know? No. We are so blessed. Our children can open, children at a certain age can open Isaiah 53 and start reading down through it. Do they know what it's talking about? Do they have to do what the Ethiopian eunuch did? Is the prophet speaking about himself or some other man? Remember his question? He had just come back from Jerusalem where he'd been worshiping. Do you think he got any help there? Did the doctors of the law know? They were confused about this Isaiah 53 because their idea of a Messiah was not someone hanging on a tree. Their idea of a Messiah was someone that was going to come and raise an army and defeat Rome. And our children can open up Isaiah 53 and know that that's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are your ears that hear and eyes that see. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. How does God reveal his mysteries to us? 
How does he show us his mysteries? Let's answer a couple questions for this morning. How does he show us his mysteries? David committed adultery and murder. Because of it, a newborn baby fell very sick. David fell down on his face and begged God for the life of that child for seven days and seven nights. Then the child died. What did David do? He got up and washed and ate, blew the minds of his servants. But do you know what he was, why he did that? He said, well, now the will of God's been revealed. While the child was alive, I begged God that he might have mercy. But now that God's will has been revealed, God's secret in the matter, why don't we eat? There's nothing else we can do. So my point is, time reveals some of God's mysteries. And we just sang that in a song, God, God moves in a mysterious way. Right. We sang that in the, there in one of those verses, that as, pro, as God's providence develops things, a bitter bud will have a sweeter flower. Because we see by the progress of time, God's workings in our lives. That's one way that God reveals his secrets to us. God can testify within a man. Now, we don't put much stock in that because we have the more sure word of prophecy. But before there was a New Testament, I read one time where Jesus said, But whom do you say that I am? And Peter responded right back, We believe that thou art the Christ. No, he didn't say we believe. He said, Thou art the Christ. Let me get that one correct. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon Barjona, Flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Amen. God can reveal things to a man. And until there was a finished New Testament, that's how church services occurred. One prophet would be up explaining something that God had put within him about the truth of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, he'd go blank. Brethren, he'd go blank. And he'd have to sit, 1 Corinthians 14 describes it, right. he'd have to sit down, another guy would pop up, because God would give this other man the next five minutes. Then that man would get up, because they had partial gifts of prophecy. And that man would wax eloquently for five minutes on the glories of Christ. And he'd sit down, because they didn't have it. We have something so much better. Amen. Do you know what the apostle would put it this way? When I was a child, I spake as a child. That was the early days of the New Testament. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I knew. Then I saw through a glass darkly. If I hold up a glass in those days, not the glass that Charlie puts in windows, if, if he put glass in that people saw through darkly, they'd ask him to come back and replace it again. But Paul said, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, and people get all bent. People go running off thinking that's seeing Jesus. But it's not seeing Jesus face-to-face, -face, literally, physically, it's talking about the Bible. Right. Because it's describing partial gifts of prophecy versus the full blessing of prophecy. Right. Because while we had a partial gift, Isaiah only saw things through a glass darkly. And the apostles only, some of the apostles and the early believers only saw things darkly. But then when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away, and we will see as face-to-face. -face. Because face-to-face... I can see all of your blemishes, and you get to see all of mine. We see all the detail. We're not looking through a glass darkly. We are blessed abundantly. That partial gift of prophecy has gone away so that we have the more sure word of prophecy. The more sure word of prophecy. So God does not reveal it to us inside anymore like he did to Peter. He reveals it to us through his scriptures which are the more sure word of prophecy. Look at Romans chapter 16, a passage that I used last Sunday, but I want you to see because it is so powerful about how God reveals his mysteries. He uses his scriptures. How did Simon, Simeon, how did Simeon know, while you're turning to Romans 16, how did Simeon know in Luke chapter 2 that he ought to be in the temple and that he was going to get to see the Lord's Christ? He may have known by the prophets also, but he was told in a vision that he was going to see the Lord's Christ before he died. He was told in a vision, so he was in the temple, and he saw Jesus Christ. We don't need that anymore. We don't need that anymore. Look at Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him, 
that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, follow these words, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Those are wonderful verses. I love those verses. I used them a few times last Sunday, but I wanted to use them again because I want you to see that there is a mystery that was kept secret since the world began, but now it's being revealed. In fact, it says in verse 26, now is made manifest. To make something manifest is to make it clear, visible, and obvious. And it's done by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God. And Paul was one of those apostles that did it. This is how God reveals it to us, by the preaching of his gospel, which is preaching the scriptures of God. Because didn't we learn a verse, 1 Peter 1.25, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The written word of God is preached through the preaching of the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Maybe I'm a little simple, but to me, this study makes a number of things about the Bible and God and his worship more exciting and of greater value and more precious to me than ever before. The preaching of the gospel, rather than just being part of God's worship under the New Testament, is the revelation of hidden wisdom and secrets of God that have been kept secret since the foundation of the world. And it adds an element to the preaching of the gospel that I didn't fully appreciate before. It all of a sudden becomes a more valuable, exciting, thankworthy event when the Bible is opened up and God's secrets are revealed. And I, hope, I wish I could grab your attention a little bit that way. Romans 1, Paul said, Let's, I want you to remember that in verse 8, he thanked God for the faith of the Romans because their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. So can we agree that this epistle is written to a church of believers that are full of faith and their faith is so great, it's got a worldwide reputation? And he says that he's making requests to God, verse 10, that he could have a prosperous journey to come to them because he wanted to be comforted with them, verse 12, by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He says in verse 15, and I wish all those that love Romans 1, 16, thinking that it tells them something, would use it in its context of Romans 1, 15. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Why don't they use that verse? They're always making Romans 1.16 as some evangelistic tool that if we simply go out in the street corner and make the right noises, that someone there is going to be saved, that there's power itself in the preaching of the gospel. But it, that is not the way Romans 1.16 is to be understood, nor 1 Corinthians, because the actual understanding of Romans 1.16 is that when we preach the gospel, those that have faith hear in it and receive from it, and understand by it the power of God. Right. Because notice, all that was in Paul, he wanted to preach the gospel to these believers. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now if Paul thought that the gospel could save sinners from hell, like so many do today, he would have said, so as much as in me is, I am ready for you to take me to the lost and perishing of the city of Rome. But he didn't say that. He said, I want to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome, that, whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I have no shame in my message that I have. I'm excited about what I bring to you, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel of Paul was the revelation of the fact that God, before the world began, had ordained a people and all the means of their salvation for their glory, and the evidence of it was believing on Him. 
And so that when someone heard that message and believed it, they saw in that the power of God. Look at what he goes on. For therein, verse 17, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. There isn't power in the gospel itself. It reveals power. Notice the word. For therein, that is in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. If a person doesn't have faith, the gospel isn't for him. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And the gospel also reveals the fact that a coming judge is coming to judge wicked men. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven by the same preaching of that gospel, because that's a secret that the world doesn't know either. They're worried about global warming. As I've said before, I believe in global warming also. And it's not going to happen gradually. We're going to go from about 70 degrees average temperature to a couple million. Because he's going to burn this place up. But they don't know anything about that. Those 50 PhDs in a room, they'd all want to be giving you their hallucinatory ideas on global warming, and then you would tell them how it's really going to happen. You'd say the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. They'd say, how do you know that? And you'd say, Second Peter chapter 3 told me that. Oh, then they'd scoff. They'd blow you off. You know, if you had sent a lunatic named Charles Darwin told me that, did he? What, what work is that quoted in? They'd want to hear about that. But if you told them Second Peter chapter 3, they'd just blow you off. But I want to tell you, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven in the preaching of the gospel, and the, world, the rest of the world doesn't know about it. They keep worrying about how pretty their lawn is and whether they ought to use fescue or some other type of grass instead of thinking about the fact that this whole thing is going to get burned up. And where do they stand? Before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through the preaching of the gospel, brethren. The, the gospel brings life and immortality to light. Amen. To light. Okay, now we know, we know how we use that verse, but I want you to think, again, I want to put just a little different perspective on it. Without the preaching of the gospel, who knows anything about life and immortality? What did Ponce de Leon know? I think there might be a fountain somewhere in the Western Hemisphere that if I were to drink it, I might live forever. Well, now, very good, Ponce. Where did it get you? Six feet under. What do they know about these things? The gospel brings life and immortality to light because it's been hidden. It's been hidden. Only a few got taste of it. Now, Job, Job knew a little bit about it, didn't he? After my skin, though, though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He, he knew in my flesh I shall see God. He knew of a resurrection, but he didn't know much. Our children know more than Job. I just hope that we all believe it as thoroughly as Job, who knew less than we. That's the, that's the key. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. When two people are enemies, and then they become friends again, that means they were reconciled. God was our enemy, and we were his enemies, and he reconciled us to himself by his son, Jesus Christ. And he hath given to his ministers the the word of reconciliation. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Jesus did the reconciling. We do the word of it. Right. We announce it. We give the glad tidings of the good news that reconciliation has been completed by Jesus Christ. Because it's a completed fact. Because Romans 5 simply says, for if when we were dead we were reconciled to God with the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Reconciliation is a given thing that's 2,000 years old now. It's a, it's a legal transaction and a personal transaction between God and sinners. We bring the word of it. How does God reveal his mysteries? Through the preaching of his word. I showed you last Sunday, 1 Corinthians 4, 1, says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're going to have an ordination in three weeks. In three weeks, I shall, by the authority of Jesus Christ, and according to his written word, make another man a steward of the mysteries of God. A steward means a man in charge of the treasury who's going to open that vault, the vault of God's word, and pull out the secrets of God's 
ordination before the world began for our glory and dispense them to a congregation in another state. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. God chose fishermen and otherwise inferior men to be those stewards and to reveal his mysteries. And when Jesus looked around and saw the band of preachers that he had pulled together by the grace of God, you know what he did, don't you? When he looked around and saw those that believed and those that were his preachers, he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank thee that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. Are you glad that it was good in his sight that he revealed these things to us? We are nothing. And anyone hearing these tapes had better understand because I've said it ten times. We are nothing by ourselves and by nature. We are the children of wrath even as others. There is no difference but by the grace of God. And we give him all the glory and all the grace for having revealed these things to us. And so the Bible goes on to say how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. They have beautiful feet because they're bringing us the secrets of hidden wisdom, the mysteries of hidden wisdom for our understanding. The ministry is elevated. The gospel is elevated. The church is elevated. Do you know why we're getting together? We're getting together for a meeting to hear again the secrets of hidden wisdom that God ordained for our glory before the world began. That's why we have church assemblies. One of the reasons. And so it elevates everything that we do to appreciate what God has done for us and not only done, but that he has revealed it to us because there were many prophets and righteous men that he did it for them also, but he didn't reveal it to them. We have both. Amen. We are so blessed. So blessed. There's so many verses I could turn you to. For those that want to, there'll be an outline with many, many more verses than I have used. Let me remind you that in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul would say that we were under a schoolmaster. Right. Under a schoolmaster. And that schoolmaster would not let them see the truth until Christ came. And then when he came, he gave us his spirit so that we have adoption. We cry, Abba, Father. No one under the Old Testament ever got the feelings of Abba Father while they were cutting a lamb's throat. Because those sacrifices just reminded them that they were still sinners. But because because you are sons, God had sent forth a spirit of His Son into your hearts, whereby we cry, Abba Father. Galatians, the last half of Galatians 3 and the first half of chapter 4 are wonderful in this behalf. You know John 17 2 and 3, where Jesus said, As thou hast given me power over all flesh, that I should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me. But then it goes on to say, Why does Jesus Christ have the authority to give eternal life? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Why is eternal life given? So that we can know God. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God with the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We are saved so that we can know God. Why did God ever have salvation? Why did he create a world? Why did he allow condemnation? Why did he allow sin? Because he wanted to reveal himself and his perfect attributes to a universe. And so part of that process is taking us rebellious sinners, giving us eternal life and changing our natures so that we can know God because without that change in nature, we could never know him. Look at 1 John 5, 20. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20 about on this subject, about why do we have eternal life? Eternal life is not because God was sorry for us getting the just desserts for what we wanted. No, here's why we are saved. 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us and understanding. Wow. Because there wasn't an understanding before Jesus came. They were clo- they were confused. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John chapter 1. And the light shineth in darkness. I, I'm still there back in John 1. Just hold on. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. you got to get the life first, and then you can see the light. 
Because without the life, you can't see him because you're in darkness. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness... What is the word? Comprehended it not. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Isn't that a disgrace? Isn't that horrible? He was in the world. This, these are quote, this is a quote from John chapter 1. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born. Amen. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light was so that they might know thee, the only true God, and his son Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's all in the Gospel of John. Now look at this one. Here's the understanding. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Amen. I love that verse. He's coming and given us an understanding and he's given us eternal life so that we might know him that is true and that we might know that we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. Right. That's why we have eternal life. Brethren, he's got to open our minds to the scriptures, though. Amen. Do you remember those disciples after his resurrection from the dead? He's walking along on the road to Emmaus. Two of them are walking. Oh, they're in grief. We had thought that he'd be the Messiah. We had thought the Son of God had come. We had thought that Emmanuel was here. But oh, he's been in the grave, and now he's been taken away. We don't know where he is. We don't know what's going on. And it says Jesus opened to them the scriptures, and their hearts burned within them. Right. And then in Luke chapter 24, it says, he breathed on them. John 20 tells us that he breathed on them, and he said, receive ye the Spirit, and he opened them to the scriptures so that they would understand all the Old Testament prophecies concerning him. The Lord must do that. The Lord must do that for us. Right. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, tells us that Paul prayed always that the Ephesian saints might be given the spirit of illumination in the knowledge of him. Right. And we want to pray for that spirit. When we get down on our knees, we want to pray for God to give us the spirit, especially your pastor. If you don't care yourself, pray for your pastor. Right. That God will give him the spirit of illumination in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that we might know the height and the length and the breadth and the depth of God's love. Now that's 318, but it's the same thing. It's a prayer that we might know because the dimensions are beyond knowledge. Right. We need that spirit. Remember Lydia? She's out there praying by the riverside. God's already changed her heart. But you know, sometimes we need the Lord to open our heart up to a particular message at a particular time. And it says the Lord opened her heart that she attended unto the things that were spoken by Paul. God must shine in our hearts in the same way that he shined on the day of creation. What should we do about it? What should we do because God's shown us his mysteries? We must remember by nature that we're even as others. If we ever get cocky or haughty in the least bit, he will take away what he's given us. Romans chapter 11 tells us not to boast, not to be high-minded, but to fear. Because if he's kept some in darkness and he's shown us something, if we get high-minded, he'll put us in darkness. Romans chapter 11. I'm just referring to references now. I hope that you can follow because you know your Bibles. Second, we must give thanks for God's gift of eternal life. Paul would Amen. say, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. But not only should we be thankful for the gift of eternal life, we should be thankful that we've heard it. We've heard it. Remember what they did in Nehemiah chapter 8 when they read in the law of God distinctly and caused them to understand the reading? They gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. It's Nehemiah 8, 8 through 12, for those who want to look it up later. What did they do? They sent portions to one another. They made great mirth. They had a great celebration because they understood the things of God. Amen. And so we should be excited about hearing the gospel preached. We should be excited about learning. We should be thankful to God for the things that he has shown us from his word. Oh, they are the rejoicing of my... How many times in Psalm 119 did David say, Thy word is the rejoicing of my heart. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Think of all those statements in scripture because he has shown us his hidden wisdom. Right. We must not despise sound doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Do you know what a series of messages on the priesthood of Jesus Christ would go down like in most churches today? 
that Brookwood Community Church that I visited a few weeks ago. I mean, what if a pastor got up and announced six weeks on the priesthood of Jesus Christ? What are you going to preach in seven weeks? All they want to do is hear little kitty stuff. They don't want sound doctrine anymore. Sound doctrine be going through how Jesus Christ is our priest, and if it doesn't cause you to rejoice, you don't understand sin. You don't understand condemnation, the coming judgment, or an eternal holy God. It should be glorious. But they don't endure sound doctrine. They want fables. Brethren, and so we must not despise sound doctrine. We must love sober preaching. What is, what is my word to the chaff? To the, the Lord would say, Him that hath a dream, let him tell it. Him that hath my word, let him preach it faithfully. My word is like a fire and like a hammer. Because it reveals the truth about what God has done for us. We must obey what we hear and learn to keep it. Luke chapter 8, verse 18, at the very end of the parable of the sower, after hearing all that about the four different types of ground, Jesus says in Luke 8, 18, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he seemeth to have. If we do not obey what God shows us from his word and love it, he will take away what we think we've got. But if we've got a little bit of light, and we obey that little bit of light, and we are thankful for that light, and we're humble about that light, he will give us more. Why has this little church been blessed? Let me say something really stupid. Because our pastor is a genius. Oh, no. Oh, no. Your pastor is a great sinner, and you all know that. That's pretty nice, so I don't have to convince you all of it this morning. You all know that about me. I'm a great sinner. But I want to tell you, Jesus Christ has been very merciful to me, and he's shown me things, and I want to share them with you, and I hope you will pray for your pastor. But let us make sure that we obey what we hear and we learn so that he'll give us more. Right. We need to pray for further enlightenment. Remember that verse, I keep asking you to pray for me? Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. We should give all God all the glory for Amen. saving us wretches. Yes. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1? For you see your calling, brethren. Look around, brethren. You see your calling? Not many wise, not many mighty, not many rich, not many noble. Let's remember those things and be thankful that we are foolish, poor, base, and weak. The more we let God know that we're those four things, the more he's going to show us. And why? So that he gets all the glory. So that he he gets all the glory. That's how he wants us to do things. There's so much more, brethren. Did you know deacons? Do you know what it says about deacons? It says that a deacon who does his job well purchases to himself a good degree. Do you know how a deacon is an example for the rest of the church? That's That's the reason I'm bringing this up. Deacon, first... First Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. What is the character of a deacon who's done his job well that purchases to himself a good degree? He holds the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That's an example, because a deacon's supposed to be an example. So all of us, what should we do with what we've heard? Hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Right. Can we live as much as we as lieth in us by the power of God, which is a lot? Can we live with a pure conscience, holding the mystery of the faith that's been revealed to us through the preaching of the gospel? There's a lot of learning going on today, but they're unable to come to a knowledge of the truth. God has shown us him that is true. He's shown us the truth of him that is true. He's shown us that we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the power and the wisdom of God hidden from all ages but now revealed through the gospel. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.